5 of The Princess and the Butterfly or The Fantastics by Arthur Wing Pinheiro. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Fifth Act The scene represents a dense overgrown orchard. The fruit trees, old and gnarled, grow at irregular intervals from each other. At the back, through the trees, is seen a cottage standing at considerable distance from the spectator. Nearer to him there is a tree, under the boughs of which a square or oblong table is laid for a meal. The table cover is of a coarse kind, and the things upon the table are, for the most part, humble in character. Beside the table there are two rush-bottom chairs and a basket-work chair with arms. Close by is another tree, also the remains of an old stone and plaster wall, representing the ruins of another cottage. The time is morning in early spring. The trees are in blossom, and the scene is full of sunlight. Falding is arranging the things upon the table. An old man, a peasant, stands by him, giving assistance. An old peasant woman approaches, carrying some plates and a covered dish. She hands the dish and the plates to Falding, who sets them upon the table. Sir George Lamorant comes along, leaning upon the arm of Maxime de Moyer. Sir George carries his right arm in a sling. His face is pale and his step rather feeble. He has the air of a man recovering from an illness. Sir George to the old people. Bonjour, Miss Ami. Bonjour, Monsieur. Sir George to Falding. Mr. DeMalley will look after me, Falding. The old people withdraw. Falding follows them. Sir George sits in the chair near the table. Demolier attends upon him, helping him to fish, etc. So you must return to London tonight, Maxime. I am sorry to say, yes. Going to the left, with a bottle of wine and a serviette in his hand, and looking into the distance. But I shall be with you again very soon. Good. Are you expecting anybody at this hour? Damelier, disconcerted, returning to the table, wiping the mouth of the bottle vigorously. No, not particularly. Barely midday. It is somewhat early yet for our friends. Wine? Thanks. Damelier, pouring out wine. One thing I'm thankful for, to see you so well before I leave. Sir George, eating. It would be extremely ungrateful of me, were I not well. Damelier, behind Sir George, a hand upon his shoulder. Ah, my dear fellow, let me tell you, you are very kind, very forgiving. Don't be an idiot, Maxime. Damelier, walking away. Ah. What on earth have I to forgive you for? I have to forgive you for carrying me, after our, after my mishap, to a retreat so beautiful that the mere recollection of a city chills the heart. I have to forgive you for tending me in my sickness, like a brother, like a sister. I have to forgive you for some days, all too short, 
of delicious pain. Demelier among the trees. Delicious. Delicious. Why, what is it to be hung over devotedly by half a dozen charming women? Demelier kissing his hand to the air. Ah, the Princess Pannonia. And Lady Ringstead, severe but tender hearted. Miss Oriel, winsome and merry. And Miss Zuliani. And Miss Zuliani. Laying down his fork. And Miss Zuliani. Mrs. Marsh. Certainly, and good Mrs. Marsh. Resuming eating. And little Miss Annis. Demalier again looking expectantly into the distance. Miss Annis, yes. Annis. Coming and leaning against the tree under which the table is placed. My good friend, I want to, to inform you. Of what? That lady, Mrs. Ware. Ah? It is true. She has gone away to St. Petersburg with... Shrugging his shoulders. A friend of hers. I thought you were going to say, of yours. I wrote to her. Taking a note from his pocket. And she replies. Reading. Dearest Max, why did you not explain to me at first that our marriage in England, or anywhere, without your mother's sanction, would have thrown you upon your own resources? A young man depending upon his own resources can have no existence for me. You have wasted my time. I shall forgive you when I have forgotten you. What an infatuated fool I have been. Yes, Maxime. And because of this, this lady, you have been made to endure a month of... A month of... Dreams. Dreams? Annis and Faye approach in outdoor apparel. Faye's manner is now changed. She is very gentle and subdued. Sir George rises. Annis, shaking hands with Sir George. Good morning. Shaking hands with Demalier. Good morning. Demalier takes off his hat to Faye, while Sir George goes to her and shakes hands with her. We have come by train with Sir Robert and Lady Chichelle. They walk so slowly, we gave them the slip. I mean, we walked a little quicker. To Sir George. Oh, we are disturbing you at your breakfast. Not at all. Demelier walking away with Annis. Let us leave him to finish his breakfast. Sir George returning to the table, taking up a plate upon which are an orange and a knife. Traitor. Who is to peel my orange? The doctor has not ordered you an orange. He and Annis wander away. Faye taking the plate from Sir George. Shall I? She sits in a chair, removes her gloves, and peels the orange. He does not resume his seat, but walks about, watching her as he does so, uneasily, wistfully. Sir George, after a pause, abruptly. Fay. Fay, intent upon the orange. Yes? Everything comes to an end, sooner or later. 
as you remarked once, out of the depths of your philosophy. I have given old Robichon and his wife notice that I leave them tomorrow, or the day following. Leave this cottage, this orchard? I am recovered, why not? No, why not? Sighing. Well, since you turned the corner of your illness, it has been rather nice at Fontenay. We have had some pleasant walks here, under these trees. I was thinking last night, these trees have blossomed over us. So they have. Blossomed while you have been leading me under their boughs. I was thinking, too, nursing would not be at all a bad profession, if one could always nurse at Fontenay. And I have thought, more than once, lying ill would be a charming pastime, if one could always suffer at Fontenay. She rises and offers him the peeled orange, having transferred it to a clean plate. He advances, takes it from her, and sits. Faye, bending over him, dividing the orange with her fingers. I suppose you come back to us, to the Princess Pannonias. I don't think so. Faye, drawing back. No. Very likely I shall lodge for a time somewhere near you, near the princess. It may be necessary for me to do so. Faye, dipping her hands into the finger bowl and drawing them upon a napkin. Necessary? Why? In the event of certain contingencies, the law requires it. The law? Faye, dear, let me impart to you a secret that tomorrow may be no secret. Secret? Uh, perhaps the princess and I are going to... to solace each other in middle age. She stands quite still. Going to be husband and wife? Is that so? Supposing we elect to be married at the consulate in Paris. As quiet a way of getting through with it as we could adopt. It is required that both parties reside in the district for three weeks immediately preceding. And therefore, therefore... Therefore, for those three weeks you will come to lodge near us. I see. She goes to a tree and stands, slightly leaning against it, looking away from him. I am assuming that the princess would desire the marriage to take place without delay. Indeed, I am assuming more than that, for she has not yet honored me by positively deciding in my favor. No. She suggested she should have a stated time in which to weigh the matter carefully. That time expires today or tomorrow. She will say yes, I hope. Do you think she will? From her bearing during those first few days of my illness, those critical days and nights, yes, she will. Faye, partly turning to him. She is a beautiful woman. You are very much in love. The princess fully understands the feelings of sympathy and affection I have for her. Is affection love? Yes, of a kind. Of a kind? 
Sir George, rising. My dear, I am not a young man. Fay, slowly coming to the table. Those who love deep never grow old. I have heard it said. They may die of age, but they die young. You ought to love the princess. Love may give perpetual youth to the heart, but can love, in one no longer young, secure in perpetuity the responding love which it may have chanced to awaken? Faye, shaking her head. I don't understand. Sir George, looking away from her. For instance, supposing a man were so unfortunate as to... to love a woman not half his age. One who loved him back again? At the beginning, perhaps, yes. What end could there possibly be to that? I think love, real love, cannot see age. He sits with his head bowed. Why have you not told me before about the princess? I have been in a dream. I wanted to put off the waking. I have been dreaming. I am young. I... I am going to find Annis. She leaves him. He remains seated. Her gloves are lying upon the grass. He discovers them, picks them up, and presses them to his lips. Sir Robert Chichely's voice is heard in the distance. I see a tablecloth. Thrusting the gloves into his breast, Sir George rises and walks away. Sir Robert appears, followed by Lady Chichely and the Princess Pannonia, and, after a short interval, by Edward Oriel. The princess is dressed severely in dark colors. She looks pale and oppressed. Edward, who palpably shares her mood, has returned to the style of clothes worn by him in the first act. He walks about dejectedly. Where are they all? Lady Chichely to the princess. Those new roans of yours have done the distance almost as quickly as our lumbering train. Sir Robert, looking into the distance. He must be hereabout. Lady Chichely, following him. Robert, I wish you to tell Laura. Returning to the princess in a flutter. I had no opportunity of talking to you this morning. We have great news for you. Princess, in an absent way. News. Um, I um, have made up my mind, Laura, to resign my command. Not to return to India. Quite so. Winifred and I have been sitting in council... We have decided we cannot bear another wrench. We will never part again voluntarily. Lady Chichely, laughing bashfully and hiding her face against the princess's shoulder. <laughs> what do you think of that? It all comes to this. In time of peace, I am but an indifferent, unambitious soldier. The fact is, I am the wrong wife for a soldier. Some truth there. 
The wife for a soldier is one who enables him to forget that she is also his sweetheart. Now that's enough, Robert. The princess, kissing Lady Chichely, gives her hand to Sir Robert. Uh-huh, thank ye. Turning away. Come, let us take a walk among these pretty trees. We shall fall across Lamorant. Leave me here, you two. When you find Sir George, send him to me. Sir Robert gallantly offering his arm to Lady Chichely. Winnie? Thank you, Bob. They wander away like lovers. The princess watches them depart while Edward stands as if waiting to gain her attention. Princess, turning to him coldly but drawing a deep breath. Well? Those horses might have travelled more slowly. Why protract pain any longer, defer the inevitable? Edward, his eyes meeting hers for a moment. Inevitable? Inevitable. I am quite determined, Edward, and I have your promise that you will distress me by no further appeal. Edward, bowing. Yes. The month is over. Over. Looking at him askance. It has been a happy month. In moments of forgetfulness, exquisitely so. The time you have felt it your duty to devote to Sir George Lamorant in consequence of his illness has unfortunately broken in upon it. But I do not complain. That is a very proper feeling. Going to him. Thank you for driving with me here. Giving him the tips of her fingers. Adieu. Edward barely touching her hand. Adieu. She leaves him and goes to a tree on the right, while he turns and walks slowly away in an opposite direction. Edward. He pauses in his walk. You shall hear it from me. You would hear it elsewhere tomorrow. I... I am going to marry. Edward, coming forward a step or two. Mary? A dear old friend, George Lamorant. Lamorant? This marriage was spoken of between us, almost decided upon, a month ago. A month ago? The thought came to me that I would snatch a month's illusion out of life before I became fully pledged. Approaching him piteously. You forgive me. Come, you and I have watched the stars and wondered and talked like boy and girl for a whole month, have we not? Edward, you forgive me? Edward facing her sternly. No. No, I, I will never forgive you. Ah. Retreating. I like you better for it. Sinking into a chair. I would rather you did not. Edward standing over her. What is your motive? It is not Lamorant you love. She laughs lightly, hysterically. You may believe in the soundness of your reasons for banishing me, but Lamorant. You shall not disturb me, Edward. Motive. Boy, I am going to meet old age halfway to marry a man whose gaze, like my own, is always turned in the direction of sunset. He and I will humor each other's weaknesses. We will not play at being younger, but at being older than we are. It is the fight against the years that tortures. Defeat is endurable. Edward, looking into the distance. 
Yeah, he's Lamorant. Princess, starting to her feet. Once more, adieu. Laura. Princess, drawing herself erect. Mr. Oriel, the month is over. He turns from her and goes away. Sir George approaches in a reverie. On seeing the princess, he starts, advances to her, and takes her hand. My dear Laura. George, you are looking better this morning. More color. The arm. Is it less painful? Much less. Much. I am glad. It is kind of you to come out to Fontenay so early today. I am earlier than I have been of late, am I not? But you are conscious of what today is, George. Today? Oh, yes, perfectly. If you allude to... To our interview of a month ago. The month is over, you know. I know. It is over. She faces him and lays her hand in his deliberately. Ah, am I to understand? Yes. Sir George, bending over her hand. My dear friend. She moves away to the tree and stands there with her back towards him. His hand is upon the chair below the table. Won't you pray? She makes no movement. He carries the chair and deposits it beside her. Princess, turning to him. George, I wish to let you know. It is my duty to tell you. I was not quite open with you a month ago as to my reasons for desiring to make myself safe, as we both expressed it. Were you not? No. The injudicious, undignified marriage I professed myself frightened of was not the mere chimera you perhaps thought it. I was actually on the brink of such a marriage, resisting the idea strenuously, but nevertheless tottering, falling. I confess, my dear Laura, I didn't suspect you to be in immediate danger. Ask me. Tell me. Mr. Oriel and I love each other did love each other exceedingly. Mr. Oriel, the cold-blooded boy? He is less cold-blooded than people imagine. A warm-blooded boy, then? George, he is twenty-seven, eight? Well, I meant boy by comparison. Oh, spare me. Ah, by comparison with myself. And when am I asking too much? When did you and he... Finally break Sonder. Sir George, assenting with a nod. Hmm? He was kind enough to escort me here. He has just left me. She sits. He walks about, disturbed. I... I am truly sorry for you, dear Laura. I am desperately sorry. Princess, leaning back, her eyes closed. You are always so gentle, so considerate. Sir George, returning to her. Uh, I, I, I presume it is quite done with? Princess, sitting upright, her eyes flashing. George! I, I, I was wrong to ask. Oh, very wrong. You must never hint at such a thing again. Sir George, moving away. No, no. Princess, going to him penitently. 
I am a little sharp with you today. Tomorrow I shall be different. Poor gallant crippled butterfly. Sir George putting his arm through hers gratefully. Ah. They walk about together arm in arm. So it is settled. Let it be done soon. I have begun my new life already, George, and I have shaped it. You observe my somber gown, and I have had my hair dressed stiffly. Two emotionless, sedate, middle-aged egotists. Egotists? Yes, I suppose middle age is a period of inordinate egotism. Princess, deep in thought. Or are people of any age who are in love abnormally egotistical? Rousing herself. But your egotism cannot be the egotism of love, can it? She leaves him and walks about moodily. Sir George, after a brief silence, hesitatingly. Laura, I think it is perhaps only fair to you that I should offer you confidence for confidence. Princess, pausing in her walk. How? Sir George, half sitting upon the table. Do you remember my laughing away your suggestion that I might, at some time, be weak enough? Perfectly. Well, I was mistaken. Mistaken in my estimate of myself, of my disposition, my strength of character. Mistaken. Princess, coming forward a step or two. What? You have? Yes. Since we talked in that way a month ago. Yes. You had better not tell me any more, George. As you wish. With somebody much younger than yourself, I assume. Considerably. Oh, Blanche Oriel? <laughs> no, no. You don't mean Annis Marsh? Sir George facing her. Fay. Fay. Sir George sitting. Fay. Princess, walking about. This is very distressing. Coming to him. Does she suspect? Sir George, looking upon the ground. A woman's intuition. Princess, wincing. Shh, I know. Has she any warmth of feeling for you in return? She is blind. But has she? I fear so. Princess, frowning. George, you haven't talked love together. Sir George, looking round. This place, the influence of it. Princess, looking round. I know, but have you? Only in the abstract. Princess, leaving him. The abstract? He rises. They walk about, he in one direction, she in another. Then they meet. What are her views, may I ask? That those who love deeply cannot age. That those who love deeply cannot age. Yes. If it were so. Nor perceive age in those they love. What a blessed creed. Yes. For you and for me. For you and for me. Do you believe it? Do you? She puts her hand to her brow, looking into the distance. There is Fay. Princess, passing him. Don't let me meet her. Drawing back. 
Ah. What? Princess, looking into the distance. Look, Aunt Mary and Blanche, they promised to follow me, but do you see whom they are talking to? Uh, Mr. Oriel. They stand staring at each other like two frightened people. George, you and I, bound, it would be madness. Would it? We should hate each other. Not I, you. You're not a woman. Release me. Eh? I release you. I release you. I release you. They turn their heads, he to look at Faye, she to watch Edward. Edward is going. He is going. Grasping his arm. George, what shall we do? Laura. They again stare at each other, then slowly she turns her head once more towards the left. Oh, he's gone. She rushes away. After a pause, Sir George walks in the opposite direction. Fay. She approaches with heavy steps and drooping head. Fay, her eyes avoiding his. You call me? Sir George, producing her gloves. I, I have found your gloves. Fay, taking them. Thank you. She passes him as if going. Fay, may I keep them? She raises her eyes to his for a moment reproachfully, then lays the gloves upon the table and again moves away. Stop. Replacing the gloves in his breast. The princess and I have just been talking together. We have realized that we have been on the verge of an act of folly. Yes. We have perceived that we are both unhappily, perhaps, capable of loving, with a love which neither one can feel for the other. She and I are simple friends again. I believe friendship has never escaped a direr peril. Fay showing anxiety to depart. Well? Sir George going to her. Fay, you see I am now quite free to start upon the journey I planned. Shall I go? She stands motionless with her eyes closed. I love you. I love you. I love you. I have loved you since. Oh, for these many days. You know it. Yes. You, you return my love? You know it. For how long have you loved me? Since for these many days. Sir George, looking into the distance. Lady Ringstead and Miss Oriel, Maxime. They walk away slowly, side by side murmuring to each other. I love you. Oh, I know it. You love me. You know it. They go out of sight. Sir Robert and Lady Chichely appear, talking intently. They pause, and Sir Robert kisses Lady Chichely. Thereupon they wander away, their heads close together. After they have disappeared, Demolier and Annis approach, his arm about her waist. The old people. Let them get on. Not more than a week, Maxime. Not more. 
perhaps less. Come with me to the gate. I won't say goodbye to the others. I want only you. They also kiss and wander away. When they have gone, Blanche and Lady Ringstead appear. Lady Ringstead, looking behind her. Has Laura become a wild thing? She passed us like the wind. They say women can't run. Women can do anything. They're allowed to make the attempt nowadays, except to murder their babies. Infanticide is still forbidden, I'm told. Blanche, looking into the distance. Aunt, come here. Lady Ringstead joins her. Look. La Morand and Miss Suliani. Aunt Mary, do you know what I think? Heaven forbid, my dear, or any other young girl. Those two people like each other. In a marrying sense? Yes. Don't fill my ears with such stuff. Remember how they've been thrown together and then phase romantic history? It all helps. Tch, a girl of nineteen? Why, he'll be fifty before her waist is settled. From the distance comes the faint, almost imperceptible sound of music, a military band playing a jubilant march. We'll see. Showing some agitation. And, oh, Auntie, I have something else upon my mind, something that concerns us. Lady Ringstead, alarmed. Blanche! It has worried me for a fortnight or more. I can't keep it to myself any longer. What? Edward. Edward? I believe Edward is getting too fond of Laura. Lady Ringstead grasps Blanche's arm and glares at her. I did give him a hint that I'm not quite a fool a week ago, but he took hold of me and hissed in my face, and his lip went up. The sound of music draws nearer. Sir Robert appears. Ah, quick! Here's a battalion of chasseurs marching down the lane. Very interesting. Does anybody want to see them? We'll come, Sir Robert. Sir Robert disappears in a hurry. Lady Ringstead, sinking into the chair, stupefied. Let me think. Let me think. The music grows louder and louder. Sir George and Faye return. Blanche goes to them. Faye embraces her and whispers to her. Then there is a still louder burst of music, and the princess approaches quickly. Edward follows her and comes to Lady Ringstead. The princess has allowed her cape to slip from her shoulders. She carries her hat by its ribbons, and her hair is flowing to her waist. Her cheeks are flushed, and her eyes glow with the light of girlhood. The sound of music diminishes slightly. Do you hear that march? Don't look at me. A bough of a tree has caught my hair. Do you hear it? It is by clots. I first heard it years ago in the Sandwatchen at Pest. It is called Aserle Mindig Ifumarad. Do you know what that means? Opening her arms. Faye! Faye goes to the princess, who folds her in an embrace. George! Sir George advances to her laughingly. 
Fay and Blanche again whispered together. Princess to Sir George softly. Butterfly. Sir George to Edward. Mr. Oriel, I crave your leave. Kissing the princess upon her brow. Princess. Lady Ringstead, who has risen, her hand to her heart. His leave. To Edward. Edward, tell me. He inclines his head silently. Fay comes forward and stands on Sir George's right. Blanche comes to Edward on his left. Lady Ringstead to Sir George unsteadily. And you and that sweet Italian thing? Yes. Are you sane, all of you? Any of you? Are you real? To me you appear like dream people, fantastic creatures. To Edward. Oh, my boy! She breaks down, puts her handkerchief to her eyes, and weeps upon Edward's shoulder. The music swells again. Princess to Lady Ringstead. No, we are real, aunts. Don't say that we have any part in the dream. Hark, listen to my march. That's real. mindig ifumarad. Love is ever young. Fay to Sir George. Ah. Uh, and ever blind? You are sure? Unobserved by the others, she touches his face with her lips. The End End of The Fifth Act End of The Princess and the Butterfly or The Fantastics by Arthur Wayne Pinheiro